Welcome to Visma Ski Classics podcast, Livigno to Levin. Visma Ski Classics is the long distance ski championships with 12 pro tour events and 35 pro teams, bringing professional and recreational skiers together. We will analyze the events on the tour, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. Hello, folks, and it's a great summer. I hope you all are getting ready for the next season. But of course, we need to do the summer training, the trial and training first. This is Livigno to Levy podcast. Once again, it's been a bit of a break here, but we are continuing with a full force. I am your host, Demo Virtanen, and my guest today is Johan Kask. You'll get to learn about him because he is currently the director of Team Gurira, a strong team from Sweden, the team that's aiming really high come the next season. But Johan, I know that you are out there somewhere in Sweden and you have in a training camp, correct? And first of all, welcome to, to our show. Oh, thanks a lot. And yeah, that's right. We are right now at, in the Halmstad Golf Arena in the south of Sweden for a training camp and a race tomorrow. It's the Båstad Mölle, a new ski race and actually a Ski Classics Challenger race. The Ramudden is here as well and uh, a lot of good uh, Swedish roller skis. expecting from the race it's kind of early on and just that the winter season is not that far behind could be a very good uh, check for the current status of the of the training and uh, we did a long training today and we did uh, vo2 max tests yesterday so we're maybe not in top shape but we will we will manage somehow Speaking of roller skiing, yeah, you may know that I'm actually embarking on a, on a long journey on Thursday uh, next week uh, from uh, across the Finland, roller skiing across uh, the country uh, from Hango, which is the uh, southern uh, southernmost point in Finland, all the way up north to, uh, to Utsioki, which is the northernmost point. So about thousand miles, sixteen hundred kilometers. So it's quite a lot of roller skiing for me. <laughs> yeah. You do the racing skis, I guess, the wheels or the, um, the Yes, most likely. I have different types. I have the, what they call the zero uh, skis. I'm going with uh, on ski goes. Uh, yeah. And uh, I have like a really fast skis and then uh, kind of the intermediate, like wheel number two maybe. Uh, and then some really slow ones too, because whenever I go like uh, uh, th- through cities uh, or whenever they're like really tricky downhills, of course, then I'm going to change a little bit uh, to a slower skis. Uh, but mainly, yes, of course, it, uh, I have enough miles, so uh, the faster, the better, <laughs> naturally. Yeah, I see. So that uh, but, sounds crazy, but fun, yeah. Yeah, it's fun. You know, it's uh, good to do something and promote the uh, cross-country skiing, uh, Bisma Ski Classics, ultra skiing, and just keep the kind of the hype going. I think it's always good uh, to do something special. Speaking of something special, uh, let's talk about the training camp a little bit. I mean, you have the roller ski uh, training, but generally speaking, what kind of a, what do you guys usually do when you have these training camps, when you get together? Well, uh, I just joined the team, so this will be my first uh, training camp as a team director for Team Kirira. And uh, so we started the camp uh, yesterday and 
started, as I said, directly with, with VO2 max tests. And so today was more or less the first full day of, of training and we will do the race tomorrow and there will be mostly roller skis throughout the week. We will yeah, have one long roller ski session a day and then in the afternoon or the evening, uh, some sessions in the gym and maybe some running as well. But the main session of the day will be the, the morning roller ski long roller ski session so how are your team members feeling at this stage as i said earlier it's not really not that long ago since the season uh, finished and now we of course gazing upon the next season and the, the summer just started but what's the kind of the overall feeling within your team no i there there actually everybody is uh, healthy not that much uh, any minor yeah well, except one elbow, but the rest is uh, really no injuries. And uh, so they're, they're ready to go. They feels quite strong today. We did a couple of hours, uh, low intensity today and uh, everybody was happy. So it's nice weather, nice, uh, really nice terrain actually, and uh, good roads. So we will looking forward to, to tomorrow and the rest of the camp. Indeed you are. And next we are going to talk about your team, a little bit of the history, the future. You can tell uh, us all about the team and also the new recruits. So that'll be next. So Johan, uh, Team Kurira, so long history. Uh, let's get into that a little bit. Uh, let's talk about the kind of the ori origin of the, of the uh, the team because it used to be Team Igne when uh, the kind of the Class Nielsen's uh, team, and then how did this career kind of came about and sort of the history of the team? Well, I think you should actually go back uh, even further. Uh, I was in other teams uh, for more than ten years, and uh, so I just joined Carrera for for Vasalop this year and will continue for the. Uh, coming season, but uh, without me, the Korea team has been around for for quite long. For with different names, it has been very much kind of a parallel story to the teams I've been in, and uh, it was probably around in different forms from already 2010. Perhaps uh, we I remember we collaborated with Martin Roosevelt at that time, and uh, you know for feeding and ski testing and so forth, and later came. Klaus Nilsson and Björn Riedvall and those. And uh, so they organized their team and we, I exchanged with them some, some knowledge and experiences with, with the other minor teams that I was at that time. And uh, so they had this uh, Pelagia Norsport team and they had Sjumila team as the name for, for one or two seasons. And then this Igne and Jörgen Brink uh, joined the team. And uh, this uh, lawyer, Matthias Blumberg from Igne, started to sponsor the team. And now Matthias has merged with this larger Curira group with, with different branches. So, and he's the, he's the chair of the, of the board there. And so their team has changed the name, but it's kind of the same organization that has been along for, for several years. Let's talk about Curira. This is... Uh... 
most likely a familiar name to you guys out there in Sweden, but for us international people, uh, it is a healthcare company, uh, also with some legal advice and things like that. Headquarters in Stockholm. Uh, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, uh, but what kind of a company is Carrera? Yeah, it's more like an umbrella company or holding company that has, as you said, different branches uh, with uh, with uh, retirement homes, with uh, uh, online doctor, with uh, with uh, yeah, taking care of disabled people in different care homes and uh, legal advice. As you said, that's that's like the entry or the team to go through. Matthias, who actually was the uh, Igne guy in Umeå at Umeå. Igne was located in Umeå, is still located partly in Umeå. So that's, uh, and then they merge with this larger kind of holding or umbrella company. I think there are, there are about 3,000 uh, uh, employees in the company, correct? It's a huge company. Yeah, it's pretty big and it's uh, a decent. Uh, a decent uh, amount of, of uh, people, of course, and decent, and very different branches as well. So I'm not an expert in all the different branches of the of the sorry the the company. Okay, so Johan, that's your company, uh, the company that's sponsoring your team. But let's talk about the team itself. You mentioned Igne, uh, and that's of course is a familiar name within the. Uh, Bismarck uh, Ski Classics uh, circuit. Uh, you mentioned Jürgen Birink and uh, Klaus Nilsson. Of course, Klaus uh, performed really well. He was fifth at Barcelona, but not this year, but the year before. Uh, and he also won the uh, Red Bull Nudenschlussloppe this year. So he's definitely one of the uh, one of the top skiers uh, in Sweden. But right now, you have some new names. Uh, Johan Lövgren left the, comp- uh, uh, the, the team, but you have Stian Hölgard and some un- interesting... Uh, Names as well. So tell us about the uh, the team and team members and what you're expecting from them. I actually strongly believe in this uh, new group of people. We are currently six uh, athletes in the team and uh, four guys and two uh, women. And uh, so it's uh, Klaus Nilsson, uh, Stian Hölgård, Gabriel Thun and Alfred Nilsson on the boys' side. And then we have uh, Hanna Lodin and Saga Nilsson. Uh, for the women and uh, well there three of them are let's say more established uh, not in the long distance uh, besides uh, Stian and Klaus but uh, Gabriel is a strong Swedish uh, 28 years next year I think so he's been along around for the for the traditional scene for for many seasons just outside the national team and have done a couple of World Cups and uh, top 10 performances at the Nationals. And uh, yeah, uh, I really believe he can do a good result this upcoming season. And then we have Alfred Nilsson, who's a youngster, 22 years old, uh, much less experienced, uh, but a very promising development curve for him. So I'm uh, yeah, curious to see what he can do also in the winter. And uh, the the girls there, Hannah and Saga, they're also uh, younger, twenty and twenty two, and they will, yeah, they're also on a on a very promising development uh, kind of trajectory or direction, and they will, yeah, uh, Hannah is here now for the training camp, Saga is 
at home for for her finishing uh, the high school in Sweden. So this today or tomorrow. So yeah, they're three slightly older and three really young in development uh, kind of skiers. So good mix up there. Uh, but let's uh, evaluate the skiers one by one. Uh, you kind of gave a good overview of, of the skiers and kind of, kind of your, what your hopes are for them. But one by one, if you sort of describe them as the skiers, they sort of pros and cons or strengths or and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And let's start with the, um, of course, with uh, Stian Helgard as uh, a new team member. The guy who's definitely been around as one of the best ones still looking for still chasing after the you know the the big bang or the big uh, uh victory uh, but he's the uh, definitely the Vasilopet skier he was on the podium five times in a row except this year uh that was an amazing uh, feat but hasn't won a race yet but Stian let's start with him what kind of a skier is Stian Helgard yeah um i didn't uh... Uh, I didn't know Stian personally before uh, this spring, so but I've seen him around, of course, uh, and uh, uh, as you said, it's very, very impressive uh, um, line of of uh, or his uh, his uh, history is great with with all the podiums and so forth, and he's always kind of constantly chasing for the win or for the podiums, uh, and uh, yeah, he's a very very nice uh, Norwegian guy, easy going. The longer the better is my my feeling. So and Vasalop it suits him perfectly. And also you saw last season in the in the Orfjells Loppet where he finished in on the podium. So so we of course have high expectations, but mostly in terms of performances and uh, to be able to kind of serve as a role model and of course to try to win races as well. Speaking of that, what does it take for him to win? Well, to finish stronger than the other guys. So it's 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 a very relative uh, concept that this one would win in. So, but he need to, uh, yeah, of course, good skis, good body, good shape uh, and uh, Maybe some luck with uh, with the positions and uh, all of that. So, but it's it's complex. So hopefully that'll happen next season. Uh, so that was Stian Hölgard, then Klaus Nilsson. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, they're they're not the same or similar, but the Klaus is also strong in the in the kind of hilly, not the hilliest race, but the rolling terrain and uh, flat races and uh, good at double pulling and uh, yeah, kind of yeah, some good sprints sometimes in sh- smaller groups and uh, yeah, kind of has all the tools, but need to get them all together at the same race, I guess. So you think this uh, this is a good thing for him to have Stian, it's kind of a... a, a... You know, training partner, and get a little yeah. bit of a boost from from him as well. Yeah, they're still out there. They, we said we should go uh, a couple of hours today, but they're not. Maybe they're back now when we're speaking here. But when I left the, the dining hall, they they hadn't returned yet. So I think they're really chasing each other for uh, very long sessions now. And then moving on to the other members, uh, you mentioned the the Gabriel. You know, let's. 
take him next. Yeah, he's uh, he's joining us from from traditional or from what do you call it the Olympic distances, the traditional World Cup distances, and uh, so he he's more in a transition kind of uh, stage now where he needs to, uh, of course, develop his uh, double pulling skills and his uh, stamina for the long for the long hours. But he, he has some sprinting uh, skills and uh, uphill skills and the good good capacity. So and I think he, if he gets everything together, he will be up there as well. Let's hope that he will be there. Uh, then uh, the, uh, the the two girls and the, the one guy that you have have there as well. What do you want to say about them as a skiers and and what are you hoping for them to? Yeah, they're kind of. Uh, uh, unwritten uh, pieces of paper there there Hannah for instance she just started to ski like two two seasons ago she uh, has made some impressive uh, progress over these only two years of skiing she had a background in gymnastics and uh, football and uh, she injured her knee so she couldn't continue with football so she had a break and then she found skiing just a couple of seasons ago and uh, so she was number 25 i think this year in Vasaloppet. so there is much to develop so hopefully she can be much closer to the to the best girls this season alfred nilsson he's also 22 years old and uh, Kind of, he uh, was kind of the victim for this uh, Corona uh, regulations this season. So he was only allowed to do two races, but he did it very good for for a youngster. He managed to stay with uh, Bob Impola in one of the races until the finish and got just beaten in the sprint. And then he stayed with Marcus Johansson in the other race to the to the sprinting, and uh, so he finished second or third in both these those two races so well the same as Hanna needs to develop a lot but very good promising uh, kind of curve the development curve right now so when you look at your your team right now and you think about the upcoming season what is the kind of the, the goal or the realistic goal that you're hoping for the team overall like a team competition and Yeah, well, uh, I think we need to be patient and also very kind of understanding of how tough the competition is out there. Uh, it's not just us that tries to do all the all the right things. Uh, yeah. So, and we have decided to see this kind of this and the next season as a period of development, meaning uh, kind of meaning that we should focus on developing the team and the capacity of the athletes and also the team around. Uh, and try to do our very best in, in uh, yeah, also in practice, but also in races, of course. And um, well, and that said, we are, of course, dreaming about success in the Barcelona and the Vassalop and on all those other other races. But I mean, you have strong really, skiers. You know, I mean, it's it, it could definitely happen. You have podium level skiers there as well. Yeah, sure, for sure, uh, and uh, and I guess. Many of your listeners are familiar with Stian's past achievements in Vassalop, and 
and, and I know for sure that he wants to win this race every single time he does it. And uh, and we have other members of the team as well who also wants to get on the podium in big races. But but it's hard to be a very clear, you know, team level goal in terms of podiums or color jerseys and uh, such. Uh, yeah, let's say it's a vision or or a dream to to win races and to see each member of this group uh, to develop and to become their their best uh, very best version of themselves. And naturally, the quality and the uh, the level of competition uh, get higher and higher in Visma ski, ski Classics every year. So to be on the podium to do well it gets harder and harder. Uh, naturally speaking, uh, but do you guys have like a long term? plan i mean the next year is of course the kind of the short term but the long term and if so what is the kind of the long term plan and how would you like not just for these skiers but are you expecting to expand getting more skiers and uh, what's the what's the kind of the idea yeah, of course if you you always want to uh, dream big and to hope for for uh something even bigger but uh, i'm really happy with the, with the setup we have now we have uh, put a lot of efforts not just into building the the kind of the the athletes group and we also focus quite a lot on the on the uh, supporting team and for for we have a kind of as i said two year plan right now uh, to 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 build kind of all the infrastructure get everything in place and to so to be able to start winning, not winning, but podium, podiums at least, uh, hope for that. Uh, so we need all the infrastructure in place, I think, so to support the athletes to be their very best. And, and for this season, if everybody came to come to January and feel that they have taken these, uh, those steps forward, uh, then we have kind of achieved the, the first goal. And when you stepped in, you just mentioned that you joined the gang uh, this this winter. Uh, are there any things that kind of surprised you about being the kind of the team director? Uh, and then again, uh, things that are most likely the, uh, the or the most challenging ones in terms of being a team director. Well, I first I was just asked to to have a short uh, some kind of over the was over wasalopet and maybe the the final part of the of the of last season and then we had a meeting in in i don't remember if it was march or april but anyhow so then we decided for this kind of next two years and we started with with the kind of all the budget work and the kind of recruitments and uh, training camp plans and all of that. So it's have been, yeah, we, I think we have, should be proud. We have uh, achieved quite a lot in, in a, a relatively short period of time, but, uh, but of course we need to be really patient and to, uh, we have a long, long uh, uh, way to go for until the season too. So we need to be patient, I think. So when you took this this job, you know, just said that you had a meeting. Uh, it was supposed to be a temporary first, but then you kind of got extended. Uh, were you a bit nervous about running a team like this, having high goals? Uh, 
Well, no. Uh, well, yeah, kind of, but I'm not sure. Not nervous, perhaps, but uh, we we need to we have some serious meetings and to really discuss. Uh, uh, so we had kind of the same vision and we had kind of the same expectations for what's realistic and what's uh, achievable in one year or in three years or in five years. So so and uh, much of the of this job now is the same as with the previous teams. So it's not, it's not unknown to me too, but it's uh, every team and every group of people is different, of course. It seems to me that the long distance skiing and as a very strong in your country, Sweden, it's getting uh, bigger and bigger and really strong teams. You guys, Team Ramudden, Lager 157 ski team, many other ski teams there, lots of good skiers as well. Of course, Norway is the big country. Uh, but how would you kind of describe the overall scene uh, in your country in the long distance skiing and Visma ski classics? How well perceived is it right now in your country? Uh, I'm I'm not sure if I'm in a position to to judge about the general scene, but it feels like there are there are a quite big group of uh, of boys and a very quickly growing uh, number of girls as well that uh, wants to do long distance skiing. If you compare to maybe five years ago, uh, the number of kind of applications to join the team uh, five or 10 years ago, it was like mostly guys that sent emails in the spring. Now we have also uh, kind of requests from, from, from girls. And I think that's the, uh, maybe the most uh, striking change in the past few years and it's really 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 good to see where has that change come from because that is exactly what i was kind of after because when i look at you know norway or your country and your teams coming from there comparing to my home country finland it's not the case here we don't really have that many young skiers signing in for long distance skiing uh but it seems to me that uh, the scene is different there. I mean, I like at 157 ski team, they even started a kind of a you know team for young skiers, and they inspiring young skiers to step into this arena. But what's going on over there that this this good thing is happening and it's really boosting? Yeah, it is, and and uh, we are a couple of uh, of. Uh, uh, private, uh, privately sponsored teams now that's uh, have kind of the same or similar goals to to build something for the future and to support uh, both young skiers and established skiers in in ski classics. And I'm not sure uh, the difference between Sweden and Finland, but in Norway they have those kind of regional uh, elite teams for 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 different uh, parts of the country. We don't have any. And we uh, will have some kind of uh, local teams around the universities in Sweden for, for the kind of second level outside the national team. But we don't have this kind of strong regional teams as in Norway. So if you're not on the national team quite early and you, you see there is, there is World Cup on TV, but there's also Christmas Day Classic on TV and you, you those private teams might be in some sense, uh, better than the, the, the federation to uh, absorb kind of this, uh, those that's not on the national team to, to join 
a private team instead. So it's definitely a good uh, development there. Uh, but you've been around for a long time, ever since the uh, Visma Ski Classics, or uh, back then Ski Classics, uh, got started. Um, but when you think about this brand or the, this tour, or the, the circuit, how would you kind of describe the the early stages all the way to this you know this year for this was a special year of course because of the you know the the pandemic but still we're able to have a good season and next year hopefully we'll be back to back to business as usual uh, and uh, but the kind of the overall from your perspective ever since it got you stepped in and how much it, it has developed and evolved over the years yeah it's huge it's huge difference i haven't been involved uh actively involved uh, uh, every single season uh, but it's been a little bit back and forth but uh, if you compare just 2000 what you said uh, the first season 2011 and then 2014 15 16 when i was around uh, at many races and then uh, coming back now there is uh, yeah huge progress in kind of all the parameters you can tell you can see the number of participants the number of good teams the number of uh, like professionally organized teams the the number of females the number of men as well i think and so it's a uh, uh, tv everything the events is better yeah kind of the whole package has developed in the right direction and uh, i'm we should be really happy that the Vismaski Classic and the organization around the events have really produced this product together. All 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 the participants together have achieved, uh, yeah, something great. I think so. So we should be proud as a group. Uh, you're part of it as well. So I think, uh, yeah, there is it's there is a lot of. Uh, good science we're doing a good job but of course we can always evolve and and do more speaking of which what would you like to see taking place in Vismaski classics any ideas that you would like to bring forth yeah it's uh, it's uh, uh, what worries me is, uh, though is kind of the development outside the nordic countries uh, finland doing okay but i mean uh, I don't have all the numbers and maybe you know much better, but it feels like Sweden and Norway um, kind of dominates even more than let's say 10 years or, or so ago. It's a bit worrying to read that uh, also read now in the recent, most recent weeks that uh, some of the best uh, uh, mid-European skiers uh, from the uh, Alp uh, countries, uh, ending their careers now, like uh, Janero, Lacroix, Schmutna, and those. So that's maybe on the negative side, that's the, those countries have kind of losing some uh, ground in, in long distance skiing. If you compare to, you know, with uh, Cataneo and Palacelli and uh, De Bertolis and Bonner and all of those that were like dominating, or not dominating, but they were like regularly top 10 uh, a couple of years ago. That is a good point. You actually bring bring up a good point that you know the the kind of the big names are retiring and uh, not we don't have or not necessarily have new ones or new faces to uh, you know fill those spots or do we? 
I mean, do you? Th- I mean, now I'm talking about the uh, Central European uh, territories. Well, uh, it's a combination of factors, of course. One, on the one hand, you have the more of the Scandinavians, uh, especially many more top uh, top athletes from Norway now. Uh, so compared to when it was more or less, you know, the Auckland brothers. Uh, now we have like a huge set of both uh, men and women uh, from from Norway, and uh, so it's also this whole development of double pulling and the early specialization it takes. Um, so uh, yeah, it's a it's a huge difference if you compare with with uh, Marsalonga or Jitsarska or any of those races uh, a couple of years ago. That's on the one hand, on the, but on the other hand, so that the Scandinavian level has definitely definitely increased. But on the other hand, uh, and this is unfortunately, I think, especially kind of Italy and maybe Germany as well, there are fewer athletes, fewer elite athletes uh, overall, uh, fewer places in the different teams, in military, in the customs, in police, etc., to really be able to focus full time. So if you have fewer positions in those teams, you have also fewer, a smaller base, uh, recruitment base for long distance skiing, because a smaller base also means that almost everyone that do cross country skiing on a full time, uh, full time base, uh, feels that they are quite close to the national team or development team, or, or they feel like Olympics is within reach, I think. So, uh, so there are very few them left to do uh, do uh, long distance skiing in, in a private pro team. Indeed, that is that is uh, the fact. You know, we still need more uh, Central European skiers, good ones to uh, fight against uh, the Scandinavians. Uh, the one good thing is that the Russians Russians are doing really well, uh, amazingly well. So that's definitely a good thing for uh, long distance skiing. Yeah, I mean, uh, they were used to be two or three or, or so Russian teams a couple of years ago, and now they're maybe just one or maybe two. So they're, but their uh, results are, are, of course, good with Ermil and uh, a few others. Yeah, but maybe we can expect more for even more from Russia if you see such a big country and such a huge interest for skiing. So there may be the potential to. Be even better. Anything else that you'd like to see? I mean, that's uh, about this teams and skiers. But are you happy with the distances, the events, or are you hoping to see different type of things or side events, or do you think that this direction is pretty much the way we should go? Well, I've been away more a few seasons and uh, just came back so I haven't thought about it so much but uh, of course some of the we should keep the most of the events that has right really as you said developed or evolved in in, in a good way so but uh, uh, from what I heard I especially talked to Stian and, and others that the uh, slope at 100 kilometers uh, I think most most of them liked it so maybe we can uh, kind of push the limit uh, to and have some hundred kilometer or even hundred and ten. But I don't, I don't, I don't think really we should go to maybe include Nordenskjöldslopp, but that might be too too much. Uh, 
right now it's a different kind of race i think it's like ultra skiing but and also racing uh back to back two days in a row that happened this season which had been something that we have discussed about but this season was the first one that actually that came to fruition that actually happened you know and i think the overall feeling was pretty good yeah that's that could be an idea and uh i'm a little bit surprised that the that the ones that uh, didn't participate the first day uh, their advantage uh, for the second day wasn't that big so so maybe the people like uh, that did both days they were good enough to to be competitive also day 2 uh, otherwise it wouldn't be a good idea to if you if people start choosing to do the one or the other race then it's then it's a bad idea but for now it's yeah, it could be a good idea yeah it was a good sign you know kind of show that you know if you do two races you know and but that's pretty much what the, uh, the our athletes are trained for they train so much you know racing back to back and if two days in a row isn't really that that much for them but it's, it's a good challenge uh next we'll talk about you i mean now we talked about your team and career and the visma ski classics but uh you as a person and uh I can uh, tell everybody out there that uh, Johan is an interesting one, and that'll be next. So, Johan, you told us that you've been around uh, in Visma Ski Classics, of Ski Classics, a little bit of back and forth, in and out. Uh, but your background is very interesting. You are actually an associate professor uh, in marketing at Örebro University School of Business. And uh, this is what it says uh, on your schools or the uh, university's uh, site about you. I'm going to read this and then you can tell us what you really do. Uh, because there's a lot of fancy words here. But uh, okay, here we go. Uh, he does research on inter-organizational units of analysis, including business networks, relationships, and ecosystems. His specific fo focus is long-term evolution co-evolutionary relationships and interactions between firms, as well as entrepreneurship, innovation processes, and strategy. Kask does research across various industries, including sport, music, transportation, and electricity. Very interesting, but what do you do, actually? What is this? What do you teach? Or tell us about that. This is what it says, you know, on, uh, on, the, uh, on your university site. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, as you said, an associate professor position in in, in a marketing, uh, industrial marketing uh, part of the business school. But uh, in my case, that means that I combine different roles at the, at the business school. Uh, but first and foremost, I do I do research. I'm currently involved in a set of kind of collaborative projects funded by some external councils and companies. Um, so uh, very short, I do research on kind of business-related things that are innovative, kind of uh, there are more than uh, one companies, a, a set of companies kind of co-work uh, together and to the relationship between those companies, how they negotiate, how they maybe kind of sometimes power struggles between the companies, and uh, but also how they co-create or to fund the different projects or innovations. Uh, 
So for instance, I manage a project right now with electric utilities on the kind of energy transition uh, towards more renewables and so forth. And the second one on more kind of distributed small scale electricity production, uh, but also a third one on electrification of road transport, how it's all the actors and uh, business ties around uh, the electrification of transport, just not just the, the roads or the vehicles, but also the electricity company and how this setup should work and the, and the struggles to get it to work. Uh, yeah, kind of all of different forms of social technical transitions toward more sustainable, climate friendly business model, basically. And then what about sport and music? It says here that you do research on those as well. You just kind of covered the transportation, electricity, but sport yeah, and music. That's what I do now. Yeah, sure. Uh, I work with the music industry, kind of studying this uh, long term or, yeah, the disruption transition from the physical CDs to streaming on demand and how this, the change of actors and exits and enters to the market. Uh, uh, I've been also about retailing from the small generalist shops uh, in the 50s or 60s to this kind of landscape of various formats we see today with the, with the category killers and the online shops and uh, uh, how this landscape has evolved and changed. Uh, actually also started and get some time to, to draft uh, a project on ski manufacturing. I haven't published anything about that, but from the from the wooden era until today with kind of historical data and all the developments of, of kind of the firm population, the number of ski factories and uh, in different countries. So see what that's, if that could be something in the future. Do you also teach? I mean, you do a lot, a lot of research, but do you also teach at the university? Uh, not at the moment. I used to teach 20 or 30%, but I uh, now I have exchanged that uh, kind of part of the of my job for to be uh, head of division and responsible for recruitments to a division, which is kind of the business studies and management side of the of the business school. So and I also some other responsible uh, responsibilities with with uh, administrative stuff and and uh, yeah, kind of managing jobs. And I, oh, yeah, I supervise a, a good group of motivated PhD students and one postdoc as well. So what is your path, your journey to this point when you go back to your childhood and then all the steps you, you took to reach this point? Well, that's a, that's a good question. I, um, short story, I, is that I realized quite early, probably already before or as a junior, that I couldn't be that competitive myself in skiing. Uh, so for various reasons, and uh, but I still love skiing and I, I like the community and kind of wanted to help. So, uh, and I still like both the preparations and the development work itself and, and to see good skiers develop and during the summer and the fall and, uh, I like the special kind of nerve and excitement around the big competition. So I, I, after I realized I couldn't be a good skier myself, I, I took up some coaching and I went to the U.S. for a while. And then 
uh, came back and we had some good skiers in the in the local club uh, and uh, so I went with uh, uh, I think it was like 2008 season yeah I, I went to the US in 2005 2006 season and then I came back uh, returned to Sweden started at the university as a PhD student in 2007 or 8 uh, in business uh, and I helped out again in my local local ski club and at that time we had Petter Milbach who was the is currently the, the head of waxing in the Swedish national team but at that time he was a, a sprinter so aiming for the world champs in Sapporo I think it was 2007 must be so and then before the 2008 season I think I was contacted by Anders Palmer a long distance skier to help him with his uh, kind of an alternative training plan for for long distance races so uh, yeah, we did a quite extreme setup and quite few hours. I think it was like around 300, 400 and uh, a lot of intervals. And it uh, turned out to be a lot of gym sessions as well. And it worked surprisingly well. And I started joining him to uh, long distance races in Europe. And so that was like just before Ski Classic started. So, and then we set up different teams over the years uh, after that. So. Kind of uh, thanks to Anders uh, Palmer, I got involved in long distance skiing, and uh, so I had these two the skiing kind of a hobby or side activities uh, uh, next to my my professional job. And didn't you travel to Yiserka? Uh, that was two thousand nine, uh, together with our uh, CEO uh, David Nielsen. That was way back when uh, ski classics, uh, Wisma ski classics, didn't ex is exist yet. Uh, but you got to know him early on. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I get to know him, but I, I, as I remember correctly, this is, must have been like the 2010 season, I think, if Visma started in 2011. So I think it was 2010. And at that time, the Yesterska organizers, they, they just, you know, they booked the hotel for us. So Ambesh, uh, my ski, local ski club, and... Uh, I think it was Helsinki ski team with uh, Lars uh, Jung and Anton Jernberg. We were like located somewhere out on the track, uh, way out of the 5K, 5K point at the Jeserska track. So I, for some reason, I started talking to this uh, uh, guy who was standing next to me about, and he explained that he had a car and can uh, give me a ride to the coaches meeting. And he said also that he will work for TV and he will there to check the event and potentially start a long distance series the following season. So, so that was David and that was the ski classics uh, just before or ready to start. What were you, kind of your thoughts when he told you about that? Hey, I'm just putting together this thing, you know, there for long distance skiing. It didn't really exist at that time. I mean, we had World Loppet, of course, but it wasn't really that uh, organized in terms of professional skiing. No, there was the this, uh, what was it called this Marathon Cup as well. So I think Jeserska might have been part of that uh, with the couple of, with the uh, Koenig, uh, Ludwig Lauf, and Marsha Longa, and a few other races. But uh, this with good TV and uh, kind of streamlined uh, marketing, or uh, yeah. Everything should look the same in all the events, and the TV should have a, like a certain level, and it should be broadcast in much more countries, and uh, hopefully on national TV in uh, 
prime time or not prime time, but you know, weekend uh, prime time day daytime. So and uh, yeah, I, I don't remember what I thought, but my thoughts, but but of course it was uh, some promising ideas, and I really liked what I heard. I also want to go back to the uh, the time that uh, you were in in the states. Naturally, you know, it's a country that I feel pretty close to. Uh, tell tell us about that. I mean, you were coaching there, or yeah, uh, I finished my my undergraduate and graduate uh, studies in in a university. And I think it was like two thousand four, maybe, and I uh, did some uh, some jobs, some consultancy for. Uh, couple of companies, but I also had this, I was pretty young at that time, of course. And uh, so uh, I thought uh, it should be fun to live abroad, uh, see the world, you know, uh, experience some other, another culture and maybe also to learn a better, better English, uh, get a good new experience pretty much. So I took up a job in Massachusetts as a coach for a college, college ski team at the Williams College in Massachusetts, Western Massachusetts. And they participated in this uh, college league, NCAA, which is pretty big in the States. So it was really fun time. And it's still the only full-time paid coaching job that I ever had. Tell us about the place, Massachusetts. Yeah, it's not well known for skiing, uh, but it's in... in uh, uh, Boston is the capital of Massachusetts, perhaps not, but, but it's at least the biggest city in Massachusetts, and it's north of New York City, and it's uh, east of New York State, so it's quite the Williamstown town uh, where the campus is is uh, not far away from Albany, upstate New York, not far away from Lake Placid, which had the Olympics in the in the 1980, and uh, uh, yeah, so we basically went skiing all around uh, New England, which is like, you know, the northeast part of the United States. And we also did some trip to Quebec, uh, north of the border. And uh, it was a kind of big ski team. It was like 26 athletes, I think. Uh, and But only the 12 best were allowed to race each weekend. So it was like six or seven qualification races. Uh, uh, well, weekends, they have kind of festivals, they call them. So they were yeah, a couple of races each weekend. And then kind of a ranking system or point system where the best were allowed to go to like a US final. And what did you kind of learn from that experience? I mean, a lot of people don't really think about you know, the stage being that strong and, and cross-country skiing. But amazingly enough, you know, there are a lot of good teams. And, and you mentioned the college sports. And, and I used to represent a team there as well. And the, you talked about the NCAA. Uh, and uh, in, even in California, there are like 10 cross-country ski resorts, something that people don't really think about. Uh, so, of course, it's not a big sport. But still, there's a lot of good re uh, resorts and, and places to ski and good teams. Uh, and of course, right now we can uh, see how well the, uh, the American women are doing in, in cross-country skiing and the men as well. So, but when you were there and thinking about it now, after like 15, 16 years, what did you take home 
from that experience? Well, there are, there are, of course, the, the coaching itself and the and the ski technique and the, the physiology is the same, but they have a different. I think they have a more, should I say, a more. Uh, everybody should follow the same kind of training plan. Uh, idea and there are a lot of college rules about uh, that's in a sense uh, hinders us from doing or for reaching our best potential because you're not allowed to have um, practice more than six uh, days a week it was at that time you could only do organized practice a couple of certain uh, number of weeks in a year and there were quite few races you said i said like six or seven festivals weekends and then the final and there was of course some open races but it's not like it's not close to the 20 or 25 races in a normal season uh, here in scandinavia so and uh, i would like to customize the training plan for each individual and i think we're much I, I can't compare how the U.S. is doing right now, and I see they have done a huge progress over the years since I was there. But at the college level, they had a lot of talented skiers. But if everybody should fit in the same form, they're kind of losing some some uh, potential or momentum. I think. I think that's a good kind of a segue uh, to talk about you as a coach, since you mentioned that you would like to customize. But how would you evaluate yourself as a as a ski coach, what are kind of your strengths and things? That I don't you... know. You should probably ask some of the athletes. But I mean, uh, I'm uh, uh, as, a, as the coach on the field. I, I, I like to be out there with during the training and to be, you know, kind of also completely absorbed into the into the technical details of. Uh, double pulling or video analysis and, and that kind of kind of direct interaction. But as a more of a, a manager or team director, I think I'm pretty well organized, maybe. You know, like having things in control, using the Excel sheet to plan the feeding stations and to really, you know, check the maps cl uh, uh, clearly or, or in, in details to be able to have kind of a good overview of the venue and to plan it in advance. So I think, yeah, the details are important. Is that maybe because of your work as a researcher and then the kind of university background that you very thorough? Maybe I like maps as well. So I, I like to look at Google maps or any other, uh, yeah, you know, the, the information from the organizers and try to have a good plan for any good tactics for the for the race with the team. So, but what maybe maybe I've learned some some skills from from the from the job. Hopefully, I, I've done so. And then, what are maybe the things that you'd like to uh, work on in terms of your coaching or your personality? Uh, things that you'd like to improve or qualities. Uh, well, uh, for for me right now, this is my kind of, I said, side project. Uh, I will continue to work full time at the university, and uh, so, and I but those done so since two thousand seven. So, uh, 
uh, I need to focus on certain like building the infrastructure of the team, recruiting good people, uh, trying to you know uh, trust uh, that the, the new coaches that I'm involved in the team uh, can do that. And I'm pretty sure I'm very sure they have the best of the education to to. Uh, take on the on the like details coaching uh, of details of coaching and I can focus on my job and uh, we have uh, come uh, yeah we have achieved some uh, success in the recruitment uh, I think for for waxing team as well so hopefully I can you know rex just relax and hang out with Magnar in the in the Visma track during the races and the the waxing team and the, the coaches take care of all the rest. You mentioned earlier about your uh, background, uh, the skiing background, that you decided early on that, or realized early on, that you probably won't be able to reach the uh, the top level. But going back to those days, I mean, when you were a teenager, I mean, skiing naturally played a huge part in your life. Well, I, I did a bandy, which is a, another, another typical Swedish or Finnish, Swedish, Finnish, Russian sport uh, until I was like 16 as well. And I played football and uh, some track and orienteering. So I, I was never really specialized in skiing. And I, I went to my orienteering profile on the in high school rather than a ski high school. So it was like not any elite level ambitions in any of those sports but since you had a a versatile background in sports why did skiing cross-country skiing become the one that's closest to the dearest to you no but i mean uh, uh, ah, it's uh, i don't know it's maybe just uh, incidents but uh, in some sense, my, my, my family and the background, they were more into skiing and any other other sports. And we had kind of a, that culture and a, somehow in, in, a, in the DNA. So, but yeah. Uh, and I said, there was a series of, uh, of uh, things that led, one led to the other. And I went to the States and I came back and there were uh, Milbach skiing in our ski team and I had a coaching uh, education and I went to him with some races and I went with Anders Palmer to a couple of races and then I was just, you know, found myself involved in a lot of different things in skiing. So we need to wrap up pretty soon uh, and I know that you need to continue with your team. You have a training camp going on and I need to get ready for that big challenge of mine you know skiing across finland but we will talk about uh the future just a tiny bit before we uh finish this uh, program and that'll be next the future long-term future we touched upon that a little bit when you talked about your team and your goals and the long plan that i um uh asked about but when you think about your future first, personally. Now you still, you know, the associate professor, and you have this team and so forth. But what are you hoping to achieve 
personally? What is your personal goal in life? It's a hard question. I, I I like where we are right now. I think there there's a lot of challenges, but also a lot of fun, both in in my professional life and my my uh, in my uh, ski kind of involvement. So I'm uh, curious to see what the next uh, season has to bring uh, into the team and uh, for the team. And uh, yeah, we'll hopefully. Uh, succeed in some uh, getting some funding for nice uh, research projects uh, in the university and uh, more PhD students coming in and uh, hopefully maybe sometimes in the five or ten or fifteen I don't know years I'm not uh, stressed about it at all but more a full-time professorship position and uh, but I, I really hope to be able to have uh, interesting hobbies as well let's call it hobby for a while so so you know the skiing part and of course family life and we do all of that speaking of which we haven't talked about your family could you please uh, shed some light on that Uh, uh, wife and two uh, young kids they're three years old uh, close to four and uh, three and a half and uh, one is uh, almost seven they're so they're full speed at home so how do they feel about uh, you traveling so much when daddy is away? Uh, I won't travel that much. I will travel a bit in the in the with the conferences and the projects for for, for my job. But for ski classics, I won't go to every single uh, training camp and I won't go to every single race. Uh, so that's why I need to have good people around in the in the. In, in the rest of the team and we need to do it as a teamwork and uh, I need to trust uh, all of them that they're doing their part and I do my part and with Stian and Klaus they have a lot of experience and they know themselves a lot what to what to expect and what to, how they want the team to be uh, built so uh, we have good coaches not just me there are other people involved as well and that is kind of my next question is the future of your team, Team Carrera. Where do you see your team and how do you want to steer this ship? No, again, I think it's a team effort. It's a group uh, uh, group work. You, We have uh, I'm just uh, about to welcome my new uh, uh, coach for specialized in in. Uh, strength and and uh, gym sessions uh, former world champion in kayaking uh, he will arrive in 20 minutes or so so tomorrow he will go through and lead some not tomorrow but the day after the race will lead some uh, gym sessions and so he's a very good australian former professional in kayaking so that's one we have emma dahlgren uh, showing up in a few days uh, she's a uh, uh, young coach so she will take care of the day-to-day kind of base training exercises and practices and uh, we have uh, Felix Erner who's the uh, chief of waxing or taking care of the waxing team uh, and all the everything with the with the skis and the, all of that so we're many people involved and I think that's kind of the the way I want to do it 
to build a strong team, not just have any, you know, solo ride. When you say that you want to build a big team and you mentioned that like the kind of five-year plan for yourself or 10-year plan, uh, how strong can your team be, Team Kurira? Do you think they will be like one of the best teams or number, maybe not number one, but, you know, top three, four teams? Very soon. Haven't haven't talked about it. I think it's like pretty much the the sum of the individual ambitions of the of the members of the team. But uh, uh, you can see, for example, Romud and they're not having the I I, I don't know, but they, I guess they don't have the biggest budget and I don't have the longest history. But they still managed to, in a relatively short period of time, to build a really strong team that actually won the team competition. And so there are. Of course, there are uh, good chances for everyone basically to build something, and we hope to be one of those that's make an impact in ski classics in the coming years. I think you will. And then, as a last question, uh, next season we talked about that as well. But as I said, it's most likely kind of the return to the business as as usual, back to normal. But what are you hoping? Where the calendar will be launched, uh, so published as soon as well, so we know all the races. Uh, but kind of your wish for for winter for the winter twenty twenty two. My wish, uh, my wish is that uh, we win a race, and uh, hopefully that race is Vassalop, but that's the biggest race of them all. And uh, and for Stian to finally win the race and win it for a Swedish team, that will be like the number one, or Klaas or, or Gabriel, but uh, I mean, realistically, Stian has the biggest chances uh, if you look at the history, but winning such a race or Marshallonga or any of the other big races would be like a dream come true for, for, for the group of people we're working with. And before I let you go, uh, how are you going to spend your summer vacation? Well, we, I will have a quite long vacation from, from the university and I will stay mostly with my family. I will bring the family to Ore for a couple of weeks, actually. And uh, we will mostly be in the up north in Sweden, in the, in the mountains, uh, in Jämtland. And we will, I will bring the team there for one of the weeks and we will have a ne- our next training camp in Ore in the beginning of July and I will stay there and I might go to the West Coast to see some uh, friends as well, but uh, I haven't made that much. We haven't made that many detailed plans, but hopefully it's nice weather and nice company and nice uh, activities. And hopefully this uh, Corona will fade away so we can hang around with friends as uh, normal times. So it sounds to me uh, that you're basically going to have quality time with your family and, and friends. Thank you yeah, very that's... much. Thank you very much, Johan. Uh, it was really great uh, talking to you and also to learn about you and your team. And I wish you all the best, all the luck, you know, for, for the next season. And of course, I wish you a good uh, summer. You too. Yeah. Nice to be here. 
And you folks out there, thank you very much for listening and stay tuned for more. Our podcast will continue and also join me as I will ski, roller ski across Finland. Uh, you can uh, just uh, check it out uh, on several sites and so forth. And of course, we'll have some podcasts about that as well. So stay tuned for more content to come and enjoy the summer. See you around. Take good care of yourselves. Bye-bye. This podcast is a W Sports Media production.